Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coman, once again, sitting in the safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good, Manny. It's, uh, things are looking up. Oh, yeah? Well, you know, yeah, we we uh we had had some 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 issues there with the uh, 200th podcast, but that seems to all have been ironed out. So we can we don't need to to dwell on that. But uh, we're we're just in the the post jazz fest uh, uh, season here. Season. <laughs> it's always a season. Post right, jazz right, right. fest season, really. Right, right. So well, just uh, in uh, you know, we had a, a whole. A uh, bunch of uh, gigs, a uh, whole bunch of work. In fact, we we weren't able to record a podcast last week because of that. It was everything was so busy, um, but uh, we we got through that uh, safely. Uh, most of the gigs came off. Um, only a few uh, only a few uh, cancellations or delays for one reason or another. And uh, this was a, a rare event. I actually saw you out at the fairgrounds. Yes, uh, uh, my wife and I uh, got were given a couple of tickets, and we went out there. And after ten minutes, I knew I wanted to leave. <laughs> just, just, just it's not for you. Well, yeah, you know what I noticed. I mean, first of all, there's people there, right? You know? <laughs> a lot of people. A lot of people. It's just. Oh, the heat is just awful. The heat. The sun, w- the sun was really bright this year, and, yes. You know, I noticed that there's no shade anywhere. It's hard. It's hard. It's like, I, I saw you in, in that, uh, that lany- lanyap stage where they do have some shade. Yeah, that's, that's why like, we went there and uh, uh-huh. to get some shade. Um, I mean, the only time you can really cool off is if you go into the grandstand, but they don't have any bands playing in there. They just have like exhibits right. and you can cool off in there, but if you pay all that money to see some music, you should see it, you know? Sure. But sure. Yeah, it was, um, we got there around two thirty, and they left by like six thirty. I think I was done. Uh, oh, that's my, a good long time to be out there for me. You know, yeah. well, my wife wanted to see, you know, we were at that Lanyap stage and the two bands that we, she wanted to watch were just awful. You know, oh, okay. I think I texted you about that first guy. Was it Lanois, Lan- Landry or Lanois? Uh, uh, Daniel Lanois. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that set. I thought it was very good. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. I don't really Well, know. it was know. just... Uh, it was a very spooky, kind of uh, uh, quiet, um, very, very uh, uh, delicately uh, uh, rendered. Was, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's you. Know, I, yeah. I, you know, that's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No I, I, I hear, taste, you know, course. someone, you know, everyone tells me he's such a great artist and stuff like that, but I wasn't impressed at all. Well, you know, yeah. I, um, yeah. And then the next act, they lived up to their name, uh, a tribute to Boring. It was boring, all right, let me tell you. Oh really? no, that was a bunch of a uh, bunch of former Trouble Men podcast guests we had there, yeah. uh, and the, the tribute to uh, to Spencer Boring. Yeah, yeah well, uh, that was. We left after a few songs of theirs. Okay. And, well, uh, you missed my set with Lynn Drury. We played right after them. Yeah. Well, that's why we left. Also, that's another. Sure. Reason. Sure. Sure. Um, now you 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 had uh, I was I was impressed that uh, at your outfit, Manny. I was it. I I was going to take a picture of you, and I thought, no, I don't want to be a dick about this. I'll, I'll just drink it in with my eyes. You had just to paint the picture. You had like you know regular kind of collared shirt on, I believe. 
Um, you had uh, you had shorts on, which I don't think I've ever seen you in shorts. Well, no, I was sitting down. Before. They look like shorts, but they actually go down like between your knee and ankle. They're like, kind really? of, yeah, they're flood pants. Capri pants you had on? Well, not, oh. not tight Capri pants. They're just kind of like <laughs> flood pants for the flood. Huh, okay, but you still had the black socks and dress shoes on, yes. which was a classic that's, look. That's all I own, <laughs> black socks and dress shoes. I don't have anything else. Nice. Um, no, it was a, it was a good get-up, man. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was all right. What I noticed, you know, uh, I did notice a few things out there. Uh, uh, it seems like you walk around and you seem like, you know, people pay all this money, and it, they seem like they're in line probably half the day for something. You know, you're in line to get a lemonade. You're in line to get a beer. You're in line to get food. You're in line mm. for the restroom. You're in mm. line, you know, to uh, go make a bet, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I was surprised I stayed out there that long. But I tell you, though, we did have some pretty good food. That was probably the highlight for me was the food. Hmm, really? What'd you have? Uh, I had, uh, well, at the, at, the, at the paddock there, we had uh, the raw oysters, which they were huge, these oysters. Oh, okay. They were so good and huge. Yeah, we always, I always go for those uh, triangle sandwiches that they have backstage, man. Those things, you can't, can't beat them. You know what I noticed is uh, everybody always leaves the egg salad triangle sandwiches. Uh, that's, those are some of my favorites. Well, I mean, uh, to, the, to, the, to the layman, the public, the fans that go out there, they don't know anything about the backstage food. Sure, sure, <laughs> you sure. know, so what? You know, they don't know anything about the. Do they well, serve those uh, triangle just, sandwiches in a booth for the public to buy? No, no, no. You have to be playing there, or uh, or someone's guest. No, it's um just uh you know pulling back the curtain a little bit here, revealing to the the public what goes on. So what's in this triangle there. sandwich? Well, you know, they have the the turkey, the the ham. So the, it's just uh, a sandwich beef. plate, like you can get at any supermarket. Sure. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> And you enjoy this. In the shape of triangles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They oh. go down easy. It's, oh, I'll remember it's, what uh, to get you for your birthday. Sure, sure. Again, the egg salad, I'm partial to that. But uh, yeah. but I like them all, except for the ham. Okay. But uh, anyway, I had uh, had a bunch of good gigs out there. Uh, finished off on, on Sunday p- uh, playing the blues tent with the great John Mooney, um, former former guest of ours. And uh, Now, can he stand up or is he sitting down? Well, I mean, he, he can walk, but he plays sitting down because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not comfortable, comfortable for him to, to stand up and play. But uh, we had, a, had a, a smoking set there. Does and, he like uh, the sandwiches, too? He likes the sandwiches, yeah. He, he seems the like the kind of guy, though, that would, like, you know, go to the, the buffet tray or whatever and, and stuff his pockets with stuff. Well, you know, John is a, a real blues man. That's a, that's a pretty blues move there. So, yeah, I, I could see John doing that. You're wrapping up in a, in a uh, napkin, save it for later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those things will taste – those things keep, keep forever, man. It's mostly cured, you know. Right. You know, that, so that's – yeah. So I did notice also uh, out there at the Jazz Fest, uh, uh, our former sheriff, Gusman, has his own tent. Did you notice mm-hmm. that? No. Yeah, he's got Gusman. Well, he's the former sheriff, but he was still sheriff then during Jazz. Okay. He's uh, milking it for all he could. Yeah. He had his own tent saying Sheriff Gusman, and there was all sorts of uh, people in orange suits under the tent. It was kind of strange. Um, but uh, I just was very surprising that he had his own tent there. I guess he, need, he likes his own shade. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. But you it, was, it was like in the middle of, of everything. I mean, there was no stage anywhere in sight where he had his tent. 
It's hmm. just right smack in the middle it's of the, the fair. Command post, perhaps. Yeah. Wow. You know, and as I was leaving and I'm walking across the dirt track, I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, this would be so much better if they had the horses running at the same time. Right. I think I've said this before. Yeah, to me, it yeah, would be yeah, so yeah, much yeah. more exciting. Well, it would definitely be more exciting, but uh, you know, yeah, it the, might be hard to ensure that. Uh, well, that no, everyone signs a waiver when they walk in. That's what okay. Do. That's what you do. Right. You just have people sign a waiver. Okay. You know, so that was okay. I'm glad it's over, you know, because uh, I hadn't had one of these jazz fests in a few years, and, and people were just like, you know, jonesing for it. You know, I'm right in the neighborhood of Jazz Fest. I'm right here. Now, the, how how was that? Was it? It was your neighborhood overrun? Oh, was it hard it to, was uh, just, to park? And oh, get it in? was. I took uh, I took the, for the second weekend. I took Thursday and Friday off because I knew it was that was going to be just hell, and it was. It was just so many people, and you you can't go anywhere, and and you gotta you know if you do decide if you have to go out, you gotta put you know save your parking by putting out cones and stuff. Right, and, and, right. And, and, and there's thousands of people walking, and none of them are walking on the sidewalk. They're always walking on the street. In the street, yeah. sure. And uh, you know that was awful. Then after after Jazz Fest, when it ends at seven o'clock, that's when it even got worse. I mean, you got people who are fucked up or sun drunk, and and they're walking back to their cars. Half their cars have been towed. And, uh, you know, and then there's these people, you know, these, these people, every, there were so many of these porch concerts going on. Right. Porch party, sure. Yeah. And that was just driving me nuts. And, <laughs> and, and I walked around, uh, we walked around a little bit to see some of these uh, porch things. And I realized these guys who play these porch concerts are, are, are pretty much all hacks. These are guys who can't, didn't make the big time. You know, mm, and, it, it uh, depends. You know, yeah, yeah I've, I've, I, I played uh, played one of those uh, on Saturday uh, in kind of in the neighborhood there on Ursuline Street. It was a, a tremendous band, great band. Who was that? So uh, it was uh, Lynn Drury, and she had uh, John Fole on guitar. You know, Doctor John's former guitar player for twelve years. So no, it was an, an excellent. Yeah, well, I I just saw yeah, a yeah. bunch of hacks. Well, yeah, they they do have. They have people yeah. who just uh, you know live there. Will get up. Even and my pull, uh, pull their uh, my neighbor uh, Chef Shia, my neighbor, mm -hmm. he had one, and the band he had, they were awful. They were called themselves the Texas Symphony or something. Hmm. And there were these guys, there were just all these pickers. These guys were picking. Okay, pickers. well, I don't know, Manny. It's, maybe it wasn't your thing, but uh, didn't, now, did you see any music that you liked this, this entire time? Uh, well, I saw uh, uh, some of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, now, so you did get to see your old pals, the Chili Peppers. Yeah. Now, uh, did you make contact with Flea? Have you booked Flea on the podcast? No. Uh, what's, what's the no, status of that? It's, would, it's, would Flea receive you? Would he take your, uh, would, he, would he let you back in there? Uh, I, you know, those guys are like, you know, there's like so many layers that you have to go okay. through to get in touch with them. Uh, could, couldn't get a message to, to, I, you uh, know, to Flea. Uh, yeah. You know, my friend uh, Johnny Carson, JK, he said he, but he was going to come to New Orleans, and he would have been the perfect guy to get the message through without having to go through a publicist, an agent, a road right. manager, another manager, the wife, right. you know that kind of stuff. Sure, um, but he uh, couldn't make it to New Orleans, and uh, he put the word out, but I, I don't know if, if ever, it ever got to them because you, you know, it's right. got. It, this would have had to have been like you know months in advance, May, we, way in advance, sure. Because sure. and they didn't even know they were playing until that guy died. Taylor Hawkins died. 
Oh, that's right. The Foo Fighters yeah. were supposed to play yeah. that song. So the okay. Peppers yeah, were yeah, put yeah. in like oh. last minute. So Right. Okay. And, you know, it's like last time I saw them there, you know, at Doc Talk. It's like, you know, it's like trying a meeting with the Pope. You know, it's just like, really, I got to kiss your ring. That kind of stuff. Sure, but, sure. Uh, they're good guys. Anyway, really. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm happy that John's back in the band because they're much better with John. Yeah. They write better songs with John, I think. Um, nice. But I only watched about a half hour of them or so, and then um, I left. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a good long time for for anybody, really. You know, after after half an hour, you kind of get the picture. Well, you know, it's always like that. You know, as soon as they say this one's from our new album, that's when everyone goes to get a beer, or <laughs> use the bathroom. Okay. You know, that's so when they when they say that, you know, you can just see the the mass exodus to the porta potties or to the beer line. Right. Right. You know. So. Okay. Well. Well, it sounds like uh, all in all, it was uh, uh, you know uh, successful. Got, we made it through anyway. You made it through. I made it through, yes, and that's what counts, right? You know, right, and now, right. but I don't know how long I'm gonna be because this heat is brutal. The heat, you can just feel like there's summers creeping in and stuff, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's sick, uh, sick, and it's gonna, and you know what's gonna happen with the heat? You know what always happens with the heat? Tell me. You know, Renee, one word, murder. Sure. Murder sure. happens with the heat. Right, right. Well, we already we were already ramping up for that anyway, you know. Yeah. So the murder's happening. But uh, you know, I'm trying to hopefully, I don't know, get out of town or something, but everywhere yeah. it's hot. You know, that's the problem. You look around the map of the country, the world, it's hot. Right, you know, it's gonna be a think, long, hot summer. I think the only people who are wearing jackets are the Ukrainians. You see footage. Jackets. You yeah. see footage of the Ukrainians, and they all look cold. Oh, yeah. it looks cold there. It looks tough, man. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a miserable situation. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but uh, uh, other than that, I'm fine. You okay, know, we're doing right. good. Well, um, good, good, good. You know, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I was born in the month of October. Mm -hmm. And um, I found out just the other day that uh, October is National Sarcasm Month. Oh, okay. So well, that makes sense. I think yeah. that's a beautiful thing. I'm looking forward right to it. Uh, you uh, know. Okay. But let's in let's introduce our guest because I hear yeah, him yeah, out yeah. there. I hear yes. him. He's yes. kind of chuckling. He's kind of like you know I don't know what's going on. He's crazy, going nuts. And I'm excited <laughs> to uh, I'm excited to meet him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, uh, this is a, a guy, I, I met him way back in the, in the 1980s, and uh, he's, he's just about our age. We've uh, had been aware of his career. He's a, had a tremendous career. He's a great singer, uh, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, record producer, uh, composer for film and TV. He's had, uh, uh, he was, uh, uh, did the music for That 70s Show, as well as uh, Third Rock from the Sun, and uh, He's, he's had a, a great career as a solo artist for many years, and uh, we'll get into all of that. He has a new record uh, coming out, uh, just came out on, on Record Store Day, and it's coming out uh, everywhere in, in a, a week or so. Without further ado, the great Mr. Ben Vaughn. Welcome, Ben. Hello, hello. How are you? Welcome, Ben. 
Oh, and actually, Ben, uh, of uh, your, I left out of your introduction that you also have a very successful syndicated radio show, uh, the the Many Moods of Ben Vaughn, which is a tremendous uh, weekly radio show that you have. Uh, did, now, did that start in in uh, at uh, WXPN there in in Philly, or no? It actually started in, on WEVL in Memphis. Oh, okay, Weevil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great uh, public radio station. has been there in Memphis forever. A great supporter of the Panther Burns and, you know, uh, Jim Dickinson's bands and uh, all this kind of outsider music, really. So you started doing it for them, huh? Yeah, I was down in Memphis when um, Ponderosa Stomp got moved to Memphis that one year because of Katrina. Mm-hmm. I was in Memphis and, and Weevil asked me to come down and guest DJ, and I did. And the phone lines lit up. and uh the um they asked me to start doing a weekly show remotely so i would record it in la where i live and send it to them and they started airing it uh, drive time every friday and it became a hit nice and then then i it became syndicated and wxpn was a second station to pick it up in philadelphia Okay, which is your hometown, or kind of your, the region. You're from the Philly, New Jersey area. Right? Yeah, I'm from New Jersey, right across the river from Philadelphia, from I mean, Camden, New Jersey. And I grew up, right. grew up with Philly music. Philly soul music was basically, and doo-wop was everywhere when I was a kid. It's a, a, great, a great place to grow up back then. Nice, nice. Maybe we should start with your, uh, your, your new album, The World of Ben Vaughn. Tell us about that. Well, I recorded it um, knowing it was going to be a vinyl LP, which is an opportunity you don't get that often anymore. When I first started making records in the 80s, that was the only format there was. So when you made a record, you thought about side A and side B, and you you thought about a 12-inch square album cover. And I hadn't had a chance to do that in a long time. So Record Store Day contacted me and asked me if I had anything. And I told them I was working on something. And they told me if I could get it manufactured in time, which is a big deal right now. Getting records manufactured is really hard right now. Right. And uh, I was able to get it manufactured. So while I was cutting a record, I was thinking about a vinyl LP, which is a, a, a really nice way to work. Okay. You mean even as you were composing the songs, kind of, you're thinking about uh, uh, you know, how, how, the, how it's going to lay out there, end of last song on side side a first song on side b yeah i was i was i had a bunch of songs that i was i was writing and recording at the same time and when a new song would come i, I would think oh that sounds great number three side two perfect right you know right. <laughs> it's funny when you're used to uh you know like we did came up with that kind of format it, it's almost hard not to think about it like that you know even when you're putting it on a cd or something you're kind of thinking well this would be about the middle of the record you know you try to yeah, don't you find? Yeah, I really like that intermission. It's like a play. You know, you need a break. The audience needs a break. And I don't know about you, but when I when I play albums, sometimes I'll listen to side A for like a week before I even turn it over. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you have a favorite side. You you uh, sometimes it takes you a while to to flip it over and really dig into that that other side. Yeah. Now, are you one of those people who say like you know, uh, like you? when you bought vinyl over the years, like I got, like I have, it's like side A play loud, you know, or or side A is the slow side and side B is the fast side. Do you put together your records like that? No, quite, quite the opposite. Actually. I try to have um, 
several tempo changes and mood changes uh, on, on each side. Now, when you were making music in the 80s, did you think as you were doing this song, making this music, were you ever thinking about the video for it? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I was forced to because the record company... Um, Right. They, 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 they told me I needed to shoot a video before the record even came out. So uh, that was definitely a concern for a while there. And I, I had a couple of videos on MTV. I was part of that, that thing back then. It was, it, oh, it, cool. was, it was an amusing era, the 80s. Oh, yeah. It was, it was good. It was, it was good and bad, I think, the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like anything. Now, Ben, as I was saying, I think you and I first crossed paths, uh, I believe it was in Memphis. Um, I was working there with, with uh, Alex Chilton and the Panther Burns, and um, you were through there. I'm not sure if you were traveling with the Ben Vaughn combo, and, and that's how you were. I think I might have met you briefly in Philadelphia before that when you played with Alex, but it was okay. but it was like one of those quick things where you probably wouldn't remember that. Um, and probably the only reason I remember is because I saw you play that night, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope I was pleasant. Um, you were, and uh, I was amazed by your bass playing. Oh, um, very sweet of you. And then I was visiting Memphis, and Alex was working with Panther Burns at Arden. And I, right. I came by to say hi to him. And, of course, he had already left. <laughs> he invited me down yeah. there, and then he left. You know? <laughs> right. It's like, you know, <laughs> the invisible man again, you know. And um, so I got there, and Tab was there, and you were there, Ross Johnson, and everybody. And uh, that's when I—that's when I remember meeting. It was probably eighty-seven, maybe eighty-six. You have kind of been mining this uh, this outsider sort of uh, rock and roll for a long time, and have a, like a lot of commonality with with kind of Alex and the Panther Burns, and you know some. Like the the whole Dickinson vibe. Were you aware of those guys uh, when you were a, a kid growing up, or or? Not uh, not really. I was aware of the box tops. I was a huge box tops fan. And when I met Al okay. when I met Alex, that was what I was excited about. Um, I'm not a power pop fan, so Big Star. I have a funny story about that. Actually, I um, 1973, I guess it was. This radio station had a contest. And if the fifth caller would get a free Isaac Hayes album, and I called, and I was the fifth caller. So I won the contest, and they took down my address. And a week later, a box arrives, and I open it up, and it's the first Big Star album. Huh. They were on the same label, you know. Um, right, yeah. right, right. So somebody get mixed up, and, and, and I was like, what is this? And I listened to it, and I remember I listened to one song, and I took it to the used record store and traded it for an Isaac Hayes record. Wow. I realized later, like, oh, wow. You know, I had, like, an original first pressing of Big Star. Oh, well, that's how it goes. <laughs> now, did you tell Alex that story? I did, and he thought it was the funniest thing he ever heard. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like something Alex would love. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he loved that story. <laughs> and, you know, that's, uh, again, a cool thing about you is, you know, you're, you're uh, you know, someone who, uh, you know, loves Alex's work, but you're not obsessed with, with the big star side of it, you know, you, you uh, which is cool because a lot of people, that's, they, they don't see past that. You know, past no, I'm, I'm a big fan of Like Flies on Sherwood. That, sure, that, yes. That record to me is like a John Cassavetes film or something. It's just like, 
a bunch of questions with no answers. It, it's amazing. <laughs> that record is amazing. And that was what really excited me um, about Alex's work, because that record, I don't know, it's, it's just unbelievable to me. Right, right. It's it's shocking and challenging, and uh, and uh, you know, well, it and and in preparing for this interview, I was just thinking about all these commonalities, and a, an, an Alex quote came to me, and Alex would talk about uh, how you know when you, when you hear a band that sounds like they might not make it to the end of the song, there's something really exciting about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then and then you have other bands that they sound like they might not make it to the end of the measure. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's, that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he definitely, uh, was, was, was tapping into, to that with, uh, with, uh, like flies on Sherbert there. Uh, I don't know. We could go all, all kind of ways. Well, since we're talking about Alex, I got to say, I'm a huge fan of the the Cubist blues record that you made. It's a terrific uh, Alan Vega, Alex Chilton, Ben Vaughn record. And before I ever heard it, I saw that it existed and I thought, ooh, I know I'm going to love that. <laughs> and I did from the very first playing, man. I listened to it again today. It's a fucking great record, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And talk about that some. So that was a, a record y'all made just kind of off the cuff to tell us about that. Well, I, I, um, I started, I did a bunch of shows with Alex. We toured a lot together right after you stopped playing with him when, mm. when Ron hooked up and, um, we had the same booking agent. So we were put together and we played a bunch of shows together. So that, that's when Alex and I became friends. And one of the first conversations we had that I, that I think cemented our friendship was about Alan Vega and how we were both really big fans of his singing, uh -huh. especially a song called Jukebox Babe, which came yes. out in like 1980. Alex and I were both just so enamored of that. Right. I have that record. Yes. It's a great solo Alan Vega record. Yeah. And I was friends with Alan. And when I told Alex that, I, I never saw Alex be starstruck until he found out uh -huh. that I was actually friends with Alan Vega. And um, <gasps> he was just really blown away by that. And how'd you how'd you become friends with uh, with Alan Vega? I was in New York. I was a big fan of Suicide, and um, and I'd seen Suicide, and I never wanted to meet him after seeing Suicide because he was one of the most confrontational performers I've ever seen in my life. Uh -huh. He really a lot of violence and a lot of anger and a lot, just terrifying frontman, and um, with electronic music behind him that was so loud your ears were bleeding. It was really intense. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. but I kept going back because uh, there was something going on there. Everything was like one chord. There wasn't even a second chord. Mm -hmm. And I was at the Ritz in New York with a girl I was going out with. And she came back from the ladies room and said, hey, I just met Alan Vega. He's here. And I told him about you. So now you're going to meet him. So she dragged me over and introduced me to him. And he was and he like, punched you in the mouth. No, uh, I was disappointed. <laughs> I was disappointed. He was very nice. And I was, it was almost like, uh, it, it was, it was, it was a strange moment, but he wanted to talk to me about my music because this girl was blabbing about me. She was kind of selling me to him. Mm -hmm. So he gave me his address and asked me to send him a tape. And I did. And he called me at home like a week later and said that he was going to try to get Rick Ocasek to produce me oh. uh, because he, he was working, they were working together at that time and nothing ever happened with that. But 
Al and I, we, we stayed in touch. And we always, we were, we were always talking about making a blues record together. And then finally, I booked time to do it. And I was talking to Alex on the phone and I told him about it. And Alex said, hey man, can I, can I be on this record? Uh, I'll, I'll pay my own way up to New York to be on this thing. I, I, I would love to be part of this. And uh, I didn't tell Alan that Alex was coming. So it was a surprise when, when, when we walked in the door together. It was, a, it was a great moment. And they had met each other at CBGB's back when, you know, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really know each other. So it was really cool. So we were, they were getting to know each other while we were recording. Nice, nice. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful, sleazy, fractured uh, vibe you got going on that record, man. It's a, it's a, it's a real achievement. It really, it really holds yeah, up. Yeah, it doesn't happen in rock and roll that much where you get a, a, a few people in a room who've never played together and just push record. It happens in jazz constantly. Right. But there are very few rock records where anyone's willing to take that chance. And of course, Alec, Alex was always willing to take that chance. Mm-hmm. And Alan was even more ferocious about it. He didn't want to know what we were going to do next. He refused to talk about anything. Yeah. We would just record and he would look at us like, start playing something. And we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> and we would start playing and then he'd start improvising lyrics. And it was a completely immediate session. Man, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Some of those things that you do so quickly that you, you can't even take stock of what you're doing wind up being the things that that stand up the best for you for me anyway you know uh, over time you listen back and it's like wow that still sounds so fresh and you know unlabored over i don't know yeah because you, you you hear yourself searching like right. like you're not comfortable you know you're, you're still learning what's going on and the next thing you know the song's over and you're like oh i guess that's it oh well <laughs> and uh you can hear that there's a there's a you know an energy to that Another record we should we should talk about of yours uh, is uh, the Rambler '65 record. Uh, I know that people must bring that up all the time, but uh, it's uh, for those that don't know, it's a record you recorded uh, completely in your your uh, Rambler automobile. Yeah, I want to apologize to Manny right now. I did not record it in a Chevrolet, and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's okay. I don't drive a Chevrolet right now either. Cool, cool. That's no big deal. So you recorded this record in your car? I did. I had a 1965 Rambler, and uh, how do you get a drum set in that? It ain't easy. Uh, (laughs) I'll tell you. I I I figured out a way to play guitar, electric guitar, and sing at the same time. I used the trunk as an isolation booth. (laughs) <laughs> I put my Fender Deluxe amp in there and I closed the lid and I ran the, the mic cord through the, um, the taillight and, taillight. And, <laughs> and, and back into the mixing board. I had a mixing board in the front seat and a reel-to-reel, 8-track reel-to-reel deck in the front seat. That was, that was the control room. And in, uh-huh, the front seat. in the back seat was the cutting room. And, um, and you were driving at the same time? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although the car did run back then. It did run. Now, when you went to promote this record, did you play out of your car to audiences? You know, I I blew it, and the record I, the record company blew it because what I wanted to do was do a tour of Jiffy Lubes. <laughs> I wanted to play in Jiffy Lube parking lots all across America, and the record company didn't go for it. They didn't see the the logic in that, the beauty, the yeah. No, I um, it was it was a missed opportunity. Who was the what was the record company? Who was it? Rhino. 
Hmm. Rhino Records. And we like Rhino Records, so they're you know, a great a, reissue label. Yes. Okay, I get you. Yeah. Like, like I remember having a conversation with them, uh, and I asked them, "Are you going to wait twenty years and reissue this, <laughs> and and then do the right thing?" Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we gotta we gotta let this thing sit for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Certain aging process that has to go on before we uh yeah, like, we really. It's like wine. It's like a wine. Yeah, you gotta wait till it's old cheese, and then and then and then you'll work it. Well, you know, uh, uh, my family actually had a, a 1963 Rambler American when I was a kid, so I've always been fond of those cars. They're they're not a super high quality car, but they're very cute, and they really have a, a swinging 60s vibe to them. Yeah, and they were an indie. They were like an in, the indie label of the um, American automobile industry. You know, American Motors, Kenosha, Wisconsin, a small right. a small company. You had you know Ford, Chevy, everything else going on. They were the indie. Okay. Now, have have you owned a bunch of Ramblers over your life? Are you kind of obsessed with them? I have. I've I've owned five. Uh, wow. When I was in high school, I got a Rambler for two hundred bucks. That lasted about three years, and then I got another one for three hundred bucks. They kept going up a hundred bucks <laughs> every time I bought one. But I had a I had a '66 station wagon for a while with a eight cylinder, and uh, I still have the 65 rambler it doesn't run anymore and i have a 64 that does run oh man so you got uh even got parts cars there you can uh oh yeah i do have part and every time i would get a new car i would tear down the old one and save the parts there you go got to do that man with those old cars it's the only car i know how to work on (laughs) <laughs> because it's the only car I've ever owned. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I and and uh, for the troubled nation out there, you can also there you have a, a terrific uh, documentary that you you did. It's on YouTube. You can see it there of, of you recording the songs and in the car and uh, and it's very cool, man. Yeah, the making of the make the making of Rambler. And what did you use the glove box for? That's a good question. That's that's where the drugs were. I didn't use it. I I, I think I needed to do Rambler sixty five two the the sequel <laughs> and use the glove box. <laughs> Tales of the glove box, you could call it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guess we maybe uh, uh, pivot to the the radio show. I have some. Uh, I'm going to be all over the place now. I notice your radio show. You're very calm, and you have a, a lovely uh, lilting voice on your show. Uh, I I don't think I'm ever going to get there, uh, Ben. But uh, but I, I I do enjoy your your calm demeanor on the on the show and 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 your uh, the choice of music. Um, now, uh, so all the stuff you play are, are those all your own records that you've and tapes that you saved up over your lifetime, or just mostly that, or yes, yeah, mostly that. Yeah, I've been uh, collecting records since I was a kid, and I have—I don't even know how many I have. I—I—I I, I, I probably spend the rest of my life trying to count them. But um, <laughs> I love records, you know, and I love music, and I like uh, all—I like all styles of music. I really don't have. I remember I was a friend of mine said, "Is there any music you don't like?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "Really? Mid-period Steve Miller?" And I said, and I said, you got me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you dig deep enough, yeah. Rocking yeah. me, baby. Uh, yeah, okay. Sure. So there is, sure, there, sure. There, there is some stuff I don't like. 
Now, you said you're a kid, you started collecting records. Now, when did you start playing music as a kid? Uh, 12 years old, I started as a drummer. Okay. And, and we're playing high school dances in the in South Jersey. And back then, you, you really did have to play Louie Louie and Wipeout. You weren't playing it ironically. You were playing it for real because right. you're trying to keep people on the dance floor. And the big thing in, in Philly is dancing because American Bandstand was there. So dancing is huge. And if you play a record hop or play a hop, you have to keep people dancing or they don't invite you back. So that was right. a, good, a good place to start as a drummer because if you, you know you you have proof whether you're getting the beat right or not depending on how many people are on the dance floor that so that's how i started out and then so you how were you a good student you just were just kind of passing through high school and stuff like that you knew what you wanted to do right i was a terrible student yeah i i felt like when i first the first record I owned was by Dwayne Eddy, and that you know, it was given to me when I was six years old. And th this was before the Beatles. And I went nuts over that record, and from that point on, my grades went down because I knew that I just had <laughs> I just had to be part of music. And and they weren't teaching Dwayne Eddy one hundred and one in school, so I was I had zero interest in school. It was a real. It was a long. I was just waiting to be released. Yeah, <laughs> from from the from the educational system, I had I, I had no no interest in it whatsoever. Biding your time now. I'm I mean you're a smart guy. You must come from a family of, of professionals. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, but uh, you you knew what you wanted to do and, and not not a, no. My dad was a TV repairman. Okay, um, well, uh, the, see the the mechanical aptitude is uh is there. I see that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother was the first person in the history of my family to ever go to college and he paid for it himself because my dad was i remember my brother said hey dad i want to go to college and he said well you better figure out how you're going to pay for it because i hear it costs a lot yeah, well, <laughs> and that was the I'm, end of the conversation <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure your brother uh appreciated that education that he had to pay for it himself i'm sure he took it seriously he did know? he really did yeah and he's probably still paying it off <laughs> that was a different era that was uh, yeah <laughs> and where did he go to school glassboro state college in um in new jersey it was in the middle of the woods it's called rowan college now and he was a communications major which prepares you for absolutely nothing yeah <laughs> and sure. I, I you know he ended up uh, just smoking weed for four years really but um you know he ended up being an it guy he, he was one of those Guys are just curious about And he things. paid for the weed, too, I'm sure, too. Yeah. <laughs> the tuition and the weed. Yep. If he was smart, he would have been a dealer to pay for his tuition. I think he might have done some of that. All right. Allegedly, yes, 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 yes. Allegedly, yes. Uh, well, uh, Manny, I'm looking at the clock and, uh, and my glass. I th what do you think? Sure, I think it's time for our break. Uh, ben, we usually uh, do like a little halftime here. We'll... Uh, Go refill our drinks, and the nation knows the drill, and uh, we'll be right back. Wayne Fontana was wrong. Wayne Fontana was wrong. Love ain't a game you can play all day long. Even though I love his song, Wayne Fontana was wrong. When you look her in the eye, don't be shy. 
need no secret sign Just say what's on your mind And if you do True love will come to you That's why I'm telling you that Wayne Fontana was wrong He was wrong Wayne Fontana was wrong So wrong Love ain't a game You can play all day long His song, Wayne Fontana was wrong. And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Ben Vaughn. Now, Ben, uh, I know you maybe haven't heard all of our our, uh, our podcast episodes. Uh, you're a busy guy, but uh, we have had a, a few different sponsors over the course of, of the, the, the run of the show, but we're currently back to our original sponsor, which is Manny. Uh, loose change, Ben. Yes. Loose change. Loose change. I'm all ears. T- yes. Tell me. Tell me about loose change. Would you please? Well, it's everywhere. Yes. Like uh, you know the the change in your pants pockets at the end of the day, or uh, you know the under the the couch cushion. Um, a lot of times, people you'll have change in what used to be a, an ashtray in your car. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's what we're, we're relying on these days at the Troubled Men podcast. To, uh, to, we need to, the loose change. Yes, yes. And we have... Uh, I know for some listener. people, some people, and I'm one of them, I'll admit it, I like to jiggle the loose change in my pocket every once in a while. Mm-hmm. It's just a good feeling at times. <laughs> especially, when it's, especially when it's dimes and pennies and nickels. I'm not too much of a fan of the quarters when I'm jiggling. But the dimes and nickels and pennies are good. Yeah, yeah. It makes people nervous. If if you're looking to, to agitate someone, you can do that subliminally. They will. They, it will. It will uh, make them uneasy. Again, we're a listener-supported operation, so uh, you know the collect that loose change uh, can come uh, directly from anywhere. We have a uh, a PayPal link right there in the show notes, as well as a Venmo link now. And uh, it's in the show notes and uh, also in the Facebook page. So, uh, you know, help support the podcast. If you're listening and join the podcast, uh, you know, get some skin in the game. And uh, we also have the, the Patreon page there. You can, you can join that and, uh, you know, support us week in and week out. Also, just have uh, someone purchased another Trouble Men podcast T-shirt. Again, all these links are, are on the, the show notes and the, the Facebook page. And speaking of Facebook page, yes, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And uh, you, know, you can see all of our episodes there. And uh, uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to uh, this podcast. Apple or all these uh, other services, you know. Subscribe, review, rate us, give us five stars. You can say "fuck Manny and Renee" five stars. We like that. Um, I don't know, Manny. Uh, am I leaving anything out? I don't think so. No, I think we're good. Uh, just remember, people, loose change adds up. So give oh, us yeah. your loose change. Oh yeah, and you okay. know uh, maybe uh, uh, are we giving out stickers to people? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. We have a new batch of stickers with the QR code now. Oh. New and approved Trouble Men podcast sticker. So uh, oh. I may have to put a couple of those in the mail to uh, to our guest, Ben. Oh. Can put them prominently on his uh, his uh, guitar cases or something. Yeah, that was a QAnon? What is it called? Uh, it's a QR. <laughs> a QR. Q- Q- QR code. Right. I'm not sure what Q and R stand for, but, uh, but uh, there it is. What, what does this uh, code do? It's a well. It's a it's a a little. It looks like a scramble kind of. It's a nonsense. A bunch of shapes, and you can point your phone at it, and your phone will rec. Your smartphone will recognize that, and uh, and bring up like a little screen and you click on that and it will take you directly to the trouble men podcast website and you can see all of the episodes right there wow that's impressive yes yes it's uh you know things are changing ben you know we 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 love the past but we have to embrace the future uh you know where it serves us i fear the future you can embrace it all you want well i I mean i fear it uh, I'm embracing it with with, uh, with a certain trepidation, I have to say. You're right. It's, I feel uh, every night, I feel like, you know, before I go to bed, I feel like those cave people from 2001 when the sun <laughs> went down and they would just stare at the moon all night. <laughs> That's how I feel, basically. Sure, sure. <laughs> oh, well, uh, you know, the, the sun also rises, as they say. So, uh, uh Back to our guest, Mr. Ben Vaughn. Now, uh, Ben, so we were we were uh, discussing your new record, which uh, came out on, on vinyl. Uh, what on like the April twenty third, I believe, a couple of weeks ago, and is is coming out uh, uh, digitally everywhere uh, on May twentieth, coming right up. And so I was listening to the record at today, and I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks, and and it it seems like it's all brushes on the drums which i love right off the bat and hardly any cymbals and you know like jim dickinson would always talk about uh cymbals like cymbals just eat up all the mid-range you know they they eat up all the guitar sounds uh you know i mean cymbals are great but man when you have a record that that isn't a wash in cymbals uh you can hear so much texture to all the guitars the 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 effects you know the reverb was that intentional or is that that's kind of your aesthetic a little bit, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm playing drums. I'm playing all the instruments on the record. And, yes. Uh, yes. Again, it's a, a one man band record like your Rambler 65 record for the most part. And it was kind of a one man band record, huh? Did you kind of start off making records like that as a kid? You know, I, I, I well, not making records, but I started off recording like that. Like um, a friend of mine, when I was 15, I started playing guitar and bass when I was about 15 and a friend of mine bought a reel-to-reel tape recorder that was uh, capable of doing sound-on-sound experimentation, you know, dubbing, bouncing, and going back and forth. And he didn't play any instruments, so he decided that I, I, am, I was going to be a one-man band. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. so my very first experiments with recording were, I was really into um, that first McCartney album which he played all the instruments on, and Emmett Rhodes. And also there was uh, Dave Edmonds had that song, I Hear You Knocking, the Smiley Lewis song. He had a hit with it around that time, and he's playing all the instruments on that. And that album was a big a big inspiration. And so I started off, I started off as a drummer, so it's easy to make a one-band band record if you already know how to play drums. 
Right. So you would cut the drums first, you're saying? No, no. I would sing the song with an acoustic guitar and then play along to that. And then I would either keep that acoustic guitar and vocal or redo it. But for me, I always felt like I needed to be to know what the song was because you can get lost in minutia uh, with multi-track recording so fast where you're working on a bass line and all you're listening to is the drums because you want to be in time and you forget what song you're playing really, right. really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of that. So I'm always playing to myself singing. I always want to know what the song is. Mm-hmm. I remember I met Doug Clifford, uh, the Creedence Clearwater drummer, mm-hmm. and I told him how much I, I really liked his drumming. And he said, I don't play the drums. I play the song. Yes. And it's a great answer. And I knew he had said it before. <laughs> you know, it, it sounded rehearsed. Right. But it's a great answer. He plays the song. Yeah. It, well, it's a thing, you know, it's like, uh, and, and you can tell there's a certain thing about singing drummers. They always seem to do that. You know, they don't step on the lines, even when they're not singing, they understand that's, that's where they're coming from. Yeah. Aesthetically. Yeah. Ogerty said the same thing about him too. And he doesn't play the drums. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you said you used, it was a very lots of brushes on the drums on this new album. Yeah. Is that because you lost your sticks? <laughs> I um, no. Um, they, I think they were in the glove glove compartment on my Rambler. <laughs> there, you there you go. There you go. Couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't. Have you ever tried to use other things to play drums, like let's say shoehorns, just to get like a different type of sound? Have you ever experimented like that? Uh, when I was younger, yeah. Um, a friend of mine and I, when I was in high school, you know, during a time when I was taking a lot of drugs, we had a thing called disgusting percussion, and we recorded a bunch of stuff. We were we were using egg beaters and you know all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> right. Well, uh, going back to the the Rambler '65 record, I was watching the documentary and and you know listening to it, and I'm thinking, well, how can you fit a kick drum into this car? And then I saw in the documentary, you're actually like miking your foot, uh, stomping on the floorboard. Is that the, the kick drum sound on that song for real? Or, yeah, or yeah is it is. It is. <laughs> so there's really n- no real kick drum on that record, right? It's all you stomping on your, your foot, miked, stomping on the floorboards. Yeah, I think there might be some drum machine, like a Casio drum box or something, but that's not really a kick drum that has the right frequency. It, it's a, it's a, way thinner than that but hey it worked for john lee hooker you know yeah 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 no it's very cool man. and tony joe white you know one of the best f- feet in the business <laughs> yeah yeah well uh i w- want to talk about some of your uh your record production work because you've you know you're a great recording artist and uh, again a uh, film and tv composer but uh you've you've produced some some interesting records and one of them is uh the charlie feathers record um, you know, Charlie Feather is a great rockabilly giant, uh, you know, uh, wrote all kind of songs, tear it up, you know, so the, the cramps uh, covered uh, different material. But we'll tell, tell the people how, how you came to do that record, who Charlie Feathers was. Tell us about that. Well, Charlie Feathers um, was signed to Sun Records before Elvis and Sam Phillips was experimenting with Charlie um, Charlie was a country artist who also really loved the blues and they were doing some experimentation, but Charlie was the wrong guy to, to be what Sam wanted because Charlie had uh, 
very strong opinions, a very stubborn guy. And Elvis walked through the door and had, and had all that other great stuff going for him, you know. And Charlie ended up making a bunch of really cool records for various labels, uh, Meteor and King Records. And he was very eccentric, kind of like George Jones and Bill Monroe, but from another planet. He was a very strange guy and really cantankerous. And Tab introduced me to Charlie. Tab took me over to Charlie's house and I hung out and Charlie and I got along really well. So I just, every time I was in Memphis, I would go over to Charlie's house and sit around and watch TV with him. We would watch wrestling. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember watching uh, two, two important things. I watched the Anita Hill hearings with Charlie Feathers, which is with his commentary, hmm. which was really funny. <laughs> and I watched the Rodney King um, when, when that tape was shown of him being beaten. The first time I saw it was with Charlie Feathers, which is really oh, wow. weird because whenever either either of those things are commemorated, I think of Charlie, uh-huh, <laughs> which was <right>. like <laughs> like a random connection. Sure, but Charlie and I got along really well. And um, this guy I know that was the manager of uh, Ten Thousand Maniacs and the Violent Femmes, he ended up getting a, a job at Electra as an A and R guy, and he was given this project, the American Explorer series, where they wanted to go out, and uh, Such Records, which was a subsidiary of Electra, had a series called Explorer, and they would go around the world and, and record folk music and various things, and they decided to have an American Explorer series, and he asked me, who do you think, who do you think we should be pursuing? And I said, well, your series is, is like useless if you, don't, if you don't include Charlie Feathers. This guy is a true folk artist. He's living in Memphis. He can still sing. He's ready to go to work. He's there. He has a history. He's the perfect guy. And my friend said, write up a proposal and uh, I'll, I'll run it past the label. And they said, yes. And then I had to go down and convince Charlie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was really funny because. He was watching the OJ trial. <laughs> exactly. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that was that was later. But he, um, when I showed him the contract, he didn't want to sign it because the word "execute" was in it, and he thought they were going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and and because the label was called None Such Records, he said, "I'm not going to sign this because it says right there there ain't no None Such Record label." <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> he fought me every every step of the way just for fun. Uh-huh. Just for fun. Sure. But when we uh, cut the record, we did it at Sam Phillips with uh, Roland James on guitar, Stan Kessler on bass, and J.M. Van Eaton on drums, which is kind of a dream band for me. Right, right. Original Sun guys. I mean, you know, Roland uh, Roland was the, the engineer at, at Sam Phillips when when I made the, the first uh, real record I ever made, which was with the Panther Burns. It was that Sugar Ditch Revisited record. And, uh, that's a great record. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, that was, uh, money, money talks is on there, right? Money talks is on there. Amazing, yeah. That's an amazing record. Yeah. So, so Roland was the engineer at Sam Phillips at that time. And, and, you know, he's just like a real heavy set guy with the, you know, one tooth in his mouth. I did, didn't really make a big impression on me. You know, uh, Chuck Prophet describes Sam, uh, Sam Phillips recording service as at that time as, as having a state of the art facility, 
1958 or, yeah. or whatever it was for 1962 yeah. state-of-the-art facility um but uh but man you, you you look up roland played on so many sides he doesn't he couldn't even remember like i remember they'd say roland did you play on that uh, that certain record you know they go oh i don't know i can't crazy man yeah i was at trader joe's the other day and a whole lot of shaking c came on and i heard roland's guitar solo and i was like wow wow yeah no. i know i knew that guy you know it's crazy when you know that person and then out of the blue you, you hear their genius and you realize that they were connected to something really amazing yeah roland roland was great uh, working with him was was a lot of fun and he played some great guitar on the charlie record do you ever buy the orange chicken at Trader Joe's? Orange chicken? I didn't know they had such it's a thing. In the, it's in the frozen uh, section. It's one of their top sellers. The really? The orange chicken. You got to try it. Oh, okay. You guys have Trader Joe's down there in New Orleans? Yeah, we got one. Well, it's not in New Orleans. It's out in the... In, it's uh, in the suburbs. But uh, yeah, we finally got one. Yeah, it took, took years. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the world's opening up, and. You got a you got a QR code and a Trader Joe's. I'm telling you, man, New Orleans. You know, it's it's the uh, capital of the American Third World. At least we're trying to work our way back to Third World status. You yeah. know, it's uh, we're somewhere at, at failed state status right now, but uh, we we have high hopes of, about our future. So when do you leave New Jersey, Ben? When do you say I got to get out of this place? I left in 1995, and I came out here to LA to do music for films. Okay, yeah, that's what we want to get to. Now, how did that happen? Tell us about that. How do you, you know, you're out on the, the road with the rock and roll band. You're, you know, m making these these uh, DIY records, sort of, you know, this is a homespun records. How do you how do you wind up uh, being, you know, having this this Hollywood uh, career? Well, one of one of the reasons to write music every day, um, and. The record business doesn't give you that chance. You, 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 if you have a record deal, you make an, one album every year and a half, and you only need 12 songs. And I, I just wanted to be writing all the time, and I wanted to continue to learn and challenge myself. So I thought that scoring films would be a good way to do that. I didn't expect to make any money doing it. I just figured it would, be, it would keep me writing and keep me creative and challenge, you know, and, and uh, on the edge, you know? Right. And I met a music supervisor who invited me to come out for some meetings in LA. She was working on Pulp Fiction. And I, one, one of the, one of the styles of guitar that I spent a lot of time trying to perfect was surf guitar. And if you remember in the seventies and eighties, that was like a dead language. Sure. It was like it was like being fluent in Latin. Uh-huh. But you know, and not the written word, I mean spoken Latin. You know, it right, was a, right. totally a dead language. I was devoted to it and spent a lot of time doing it, and it had no no worth in the marketplace whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I even tried to make an instrumental record uh, for the label I was signed to, and they told me to forget about it. Yeah. And I and then I meet this woman, she goes, um, she, she was a music supervisor, and she said, I'm working on this movie called Pulp Fiction, and your style of guitar playing is going to become really popular overnight. I think you should move here. I can, I'll be able to get you all kinds of session work, and probably you, you, you could score some films, too. So I came out, and she took me to a private screening 
of Pulp Fiction before it came out. It was in a screening room at, at um, I forget where it was. I think ICM, the, the agency that uh, that Tarantino was signed to. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this private screening room all by myself at like two o'clock in the afternoon watching Pulp Fiction before it hit the movie theaters. And, and when it was over, I, I realized she was absolutely right. This is going to be huge. There's no way this is not going to be a big movie. And there's no way it's not going to influence filmmakers all over the place. So I moved out here. I moved out here. Pulp Fiction came out. It was a hit. And I was in demand. I played on, kind of like Roland, I played on a lot. Of, I'm on a lot of movies, but I don't know what they're called. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, she immediately got me work. And I was going from one session to the other with my guitar and playing surf, surf guitar and, and getting paid. And then third rock from the sun um i was being interviewed on the radio kcrw in the morning and the the dj asked me why i moved to la and i said i moved here to score films or tv so if anybody out there has a project call the station i'm ready to work (laughs) and i was i thought i was kidding and the phone rang and it was the president of the production company that uh, did Roseanne and uh, the Cosby show and a bunch of those shows. And she said, we have a pilot about aliens. And I just heard you on the radio and I think you're the perfect person. I want you to come in for a meeting. And I went in for a meeting and they, they hired me right on the spot. Wow. Was that Carsey Werner Productions? Uh, Carsey Werner. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Carsey Werner. I went up to the lot in Studio City. Uh, the Radford lot up there. And I couldn't believe it. You know, like they, they left the pass for, for me at the gate. I was actually allowed on a studio lot. I'm from New Jersey. You know, I assume, I assume I'm always trespassing. <laughs> you know, people treat you that way. Like you're from Jersey. Oh, hold on, pal. You know, <laughs> not so fast. You're not so fast. <laughs> we have, we definitely, uh, it was a, a defeatist attitude to, you know, to, to New Jerseyites that I, okay. <laughs> that I, that I definitely have. Yeah. And uh, so I went on the lot and as I was walking from my car to the um, meeting, I actually passed Jerry Seinfeld himself. He was riding a bike and I'm like, wow, this is like, a, you know, a dream. You're big time now. Yeah. And I went in and they hired me. And the next thing you know, the, the show went on the air and it became a big hit. And then, and then I got hired for a bunch of other shows. I did a bunch of shows you probably have never heard of that only lasted like one season or half a season. Mm-hmm. And I did a, a, a bunch of pilots for 11 years. I, I was in, in the Hollywood. I was, you know, I made it in Hollywood. It was really funny, really interesting. Did you score any films? I did. I did. I did, but not nothing real big. I did a movie called Psycho Beach Party which is a, a cult classic. It shows like at midnight at, you know, at repertory theaters around the country. But um, I, I was too busy doing TV. TV is a vortex because you have to, you know, it was like 23 episodes per year. Right. Per season. Yeah. And I was doing more than one show at once. I was doing, cause I was doing third rock from the sun. And then they, the same people created that seventies show. So I started okay. doing that. And then I started I just accepted every job that was offered to me because I assumed I could get fired at any minute. <laughs> and uh, right. so I just said yes to everything. And I, I kind of, in retrospect, that was a little much, but 
I, um, yeah, I went from, it was really interesting. Now, like, like a lot of people who come to Hollywood and they kind of, they make it big there. Uh, did you develop a lot of uh, drug and alcohol problems? No, I did not. I, um, I did that when I was younger. Uh, okay. I worked all that out when I was younger. And by the time, if I was younger, I probably would have OD'd uh, after, you know, like a week after Third Rock went on the air. But yeah, <laughs> but I was older and I was already 40, you know. Okay. Like I turned 40. My midlife crisis was uh, kind of averted in some ways because success came to me when I was 40, which was the perfect time for it, you know. Hmm. Well, maybe it's still coming up, uh, Ben. You know, maybe it's it's not too late for that uh, that midlife crisis. Who knows? Um, That's well. Know. Thank you for that. Maybe I, <laughs> I don't. Maybe. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't want to rule anything well, out. Yeah, I really appreciate that. <laughs> maybe after being on this show, it'll happen. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. It might be happening right now, actually. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, man, but like the, the chances of like to, to have two shows like that that are such huge hits that, I mean, even every day that 70s show and probably Third Rock from the Sun must play in multiple markets multiple times a day every day now. Yeah, they do. Wow. I'm trying to remember the music for Third Rock. I'm trying to Because re- like, well, you know, like, like Seinfeld had a, a certain, that brand music where it sounded like a pinball popcorn machine type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the DX7 uh, slap bass sound. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now, did you get to meet the cast and all that and hang out oh, with Yeah, the yeah. I, I, I was, I'm uh, still friends with John Lithgow. Um, this guy's a fucking talent, man. That guy's amazing. Yeah, and he's a great guy, really great guy. I still see French Stewart every now and then. Um, yeah, I became friends. Um, I had to be on a set a lot. They wanted me right. there. They wanted me to be part of the of the read throughs of the scripts and everything. And does Lithgow uh, still live in Homeby Hills? He lives in, uh, I believe, in Westwood now. Right, yeah, Westwood Homeby Hills area. Cause oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, a buddy of mine uh, who I went to school with, uh, he was na- like, lived a few houses down from Lithgow. And so I was just curious to see if he still lived in that area. I think he does, yeah. Now, Ben, or, or I know that a lot of this record was was made at the the Relay Shack, right? That's also where you do your 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 radio show from. Yeah, I split my time between the Mojave Desert. I have a house uh, east of 29 Palms in, in the middle of nowhere. You can't even see my nearest neighbor, and I've had that place for a real long time. And I have a studio there, and that's where I usually do my radio show. But I have kind of a portable setup where I can move back and forth. And I have a rent-controlled apartment in Santa Monica that I'm never going to get rid of, even after I <laughs> even after I die. Yeah, you gotta kind of be quick to hold on to that. Yeah. yeah, even after I die, I'm hold you know, on to that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay in a, you know a few you know many years in advance just to make sure I still have it. Where in Santa Monica? I'm uh, two blocks from the beach in Ocean Park. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're near Station Twenty Six. Yeah. Yeah, I used to live on Hart Street, right off um, uh, Ocean Park in Maine. Hart Street. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. Um, my neighbor across the street, she never, you never saw her, but uh, Jane Fonda owned that house across the street. Wow. From me, um, this is when 
she was still with the what's is that the California councilman? Oh yeah, Tom. Uh, Tom. Uh, Tom Hayden. Tom Hayden. There you go. There we go. Yeah, who uh, she dumped Jane Fonda dumped him, I think, for Ted Turner, and also I think Hayden had developed a really bad drinking problem. Oh. He started to get one of those kind of drinkers nose. And then I remember uh, I was on Pico Boulevard near the Apple Pan and uh, I was walking by the sushi restaurant and I saw Tom Hayden in there uh, just chugging fucking sake down with some Asian woman. Uh, He seemed like he was having a good time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. Well, now out out there at the the Relay Shack, you you must... Uh, uh, cross paths with uh, our old buddy Dave Catching from Rancho de la Luna, huh? I do. I do. Uh, um, he was a, an early guest on the show. He, he's a Memphis, originally Memphis guy. It's, uh, you know, we've been been uh, crossing paths forever. He's a big tequila mogul now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, he's the, quit the, music altogether. Mezcal. No, no. No, he hasn't. He's still, on tequila. still making a lot of records out there. Yeah, our uh, our guest uh, from Bill Davis from Dash Rip Rock just went out and and uh, recorded a, the new Dash Rip Rock record uh, with Dave at uh, at the studio since since Bill was on the show. Oh, I love Dash. Rip. They recorded one of my songs, Dash Rip Rock. Nice, those guys. I could see that, man. Those guys are so cool, man. And we I saw Bill play with the band not too long ago. Man, he's so such a rock in front, man. I swear. I remember uh, seeing them once, and they came out, and the first song they played, it was when that song by R.E.M. was real big, This Goes Out to the One I Love. Mm-hmm. And they sang, This Goes Out to the One I Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was an immediate fan. Right. <laughs> Well, I my band used to do a, 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 a REM song, the Losing My Religion, but it mm-hmm. was Losing My Erection. <laughs> that was our song. Okay, I see that. I could see that. Nice, nice. Well, uh, well, so uh, we're kind of winding down on the podcast here, Ben. But uh, you know, uh, something that caught my eye a few months ago on social media. You know, I I, I see your posts about the uh, the uh, the your mini moods of Ben Vaughn radio program. Sometimes you'll, you'll uh, promo some records you're going to, to play. And, um, and I saw Watertown, the Sinatra record Watertown. Now that's not a a Sinatra record that a lot of people know about, even big Sinatra fans or it's kind of a, a one that fell through the cracks, but it's one of my favorites, man. It's, uh, to me, like one of the only records where Sinatra doesn't embody his his cliche persona, but actually takes on the the persona of, of this character in this whole theme record written by the great Bob Gaudio. Um, and Jake Holmes did the lyrics. Yeah, an amazing record. Uh, it's a great record, and it, yes. of course, it, you know, it, it failed. But I remember Sinatra said he wasn't really upset about it failing. He goes, you know. Those kids did a good job. Yeah, <laughs> they're talented kids. Right, right. It's uh, yeah. I think Bob Gaudio had had just done a uh, like a theme record, written a theme record for the Bee Gees, which failed horribly. <laughs> and uh, this was like somehow I don't know a follow up to that. And that, then there was uh, Imitation Life Gazette, genuine Imitation Life Gazette, the Four Seasons concept album that also failed. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this guy, this guy Gadio, just kept getting work, though, huh? Yeah, some, somehow he did, yeah. Well, well, Bob Gaudio is still alive. He's got to be in his 90s. Uh, he, he, he wrote all the hits for uh, the Four Seasons starting when he was 16 years old when he joined the band. And he's you know one of the, the forces behind that uh, Jersey Boys huge smash Broadway hit. So, so Bob Gaudio is uh, still raking it in, man. Talented fucking guy. He was also in the uh, Royal Teens, uh, who loves short shorts. Wow! Before the Four Seasons, yeah, that was that's that's maybe how he met uh, Frankie Valley. Yeah, they were all out well, there. Is he a Philly guy? Because aren't the Four Seasons Jersey and Philly people? Uh, North Jersey, more New York. Uh, okay. North, North Jersey, there's a there's a big difference. You wouldn't know it by looking at the size of New Jersey, but if you grow up there, you know uh, South Jersey is Philadelphia influence, and North Jersey is New York City influence. And those guys definitely, and they're young rascals too. You know, they were all North Jersey guys. Well, so uh, before we we uh, we wrap up here, Ben, you have uh, what's on the horizon for Ben Vaughn? I'm going over to Spain for a 10, 10 cities and ten, 10 let me see ten shows in ten cities in ten days. Wow! Yeah. And then I'm going to spend time in Mallorca at the end, the island of Mallorca, and rest up a little bit and hang out. Cool. Nice. 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 Well, you know, Ben, here's a, something I, I learned when I was on the road with Green on Red. Uh, they would get uh, a pair of boxer shorts on the rider every day for each band member. So as you would show up, you know, you have your Cokes, your, your triangle sandwiches, and you have a clean pair of boxer shorts. So you never have to do laundry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, man, check it out. <laughs> That's a great idea, disposable underwear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, put it in a bag and bring it home and wash it all, and now you have all brand new underwear. So, man. Yeah, well, that's, that's my gift to you. for. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the promoter the minute I get done here. There you go. Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, you know, it's it's a real treat to have you, and and uh, man, everybody, you know, look out for uh, for the world of Ben Vaughn record and uh, the many moods of Ben Vaughn uh, on on. So you going to Spain just as a solo artist? No, I'm taking my Philly band with me. I, I still oh, okay. play with the same guys I played with uh, like for almost forty years now. We've been playing together. Oh, okay. And nice, um, they're still alive. I'm still now, alive. Why just Spain? Why not the whole continent? You know, I when I first started putting records out, I did okay in America. I was a alternative rock, like you know Tav and Alex and everybody. I, I, don't, I don't even know what you would call it because we weren't like indie, I guess indie rock or alternative or whatever. And we all did like just okay in America, but for some reason, Europe, France, and Spain and Italy went nuts over our music and the cramps too huge over there right they got it yeah and alan vega famous in france like famous uh -huh. and it happened to me too like i'm actually like when i'm in spain i get recognized on the street when i'm walking around madrid you know wow yeah and uh, it doesn't translate the minute i get back here it's over <laughs> yeah you're just another guy from jersey just another yeah, guy from jersey. Right. Not, not so fast yeah, exactly yeah I, i'm <laughs> trespassing again but <laughs> so um, when you're like in spain walking the streets are the people going third rock from the sun third rock from the sun no no um no? it's based on my records oh yeah yeah no. they don't even know about that over there it's it's weird you know like 
where, you know, I'm like, I'm one of those people where if you mention my name, there's two reactions. Oh man, I love him. Or who? Right. <laughs> there's no middle ground. <laughs> well, like, like all the best people, Ben. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, but yeah, I'm, go I'm going over there. Spain is like the most dedicated following I have. It goes down generation to generation, like young, you know, it isn't like a nostalgia thing. Uh, young people come out to see me play there and they, they know the words to every song. It's crazy. Nice, man. Nice. Well, have a great tour over there. Stay safe, Ben. I will. It was great reconnecting with you. Yeah, you too, man. Well, uh, Manny, uh, it seems like a show, huh? Yeah, and uh, we know what to do now. Right. So, uh, as always, in the Troubled Nation, we'd like to say trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. I went down a blind alley looking for love. I went down a blind alley looking for love. She seemed fine at the time. But how was I to know that I would soon be laid low? Another man down, bleeding on the ground. I went down a blind alley, looking for love, looking for love. I went down a blind alley, looking for love, looking for love. I was ready to go when she spoke soft and low. The thing she said went straight to my head. Till I couldn't see the plan she had for me. I went down a blind alley looking for love, looking for love. I went down a blind alley looking for love, looking for love. Strung me along till a cop on the beat found me lying in the street under the moon above. Another victim of her love. I went down a blind alley looking for love, looking for love. I went down a blind alley looking for love. Looking for love, 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 looking for love.